0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. All right, everybody okay? You can still keep talking. I'm not too in a hurry. I actually haven't been in a real big hurry for a while now. Meaning, when God's moving in a room, so often we're like, hey, what's the next thing? There's really only one thing. If Jesus is doing a thing, why would we want to move on? And so I know you can't always see what's happening, but when I say, hey, is anybody in here, and they're full of shame, or they feel far away from God, and you see people raise their hands and start shaking and then start weeping? For me, that's like, okay, I think God's doing something right there. And I know when we come into church so often, we can be like, what about me? Uh, but so often I want you to change your mindset in the future to, all right, if God's doing that there, I want to do that there too. And so thanks for being a church that's just willing to like sit in silence and pray for each other. And I, I you know, years ago would have apologized and called that, it makes me feel weird. That's just normal Christianity for me right now. Most of the time when I'm in rooms these days and we go, hey God, what do you want to do? People end up crying. People end up confessing, people end up on the floor, people end up getting healed, people end up being like, I feel God, and I'm like, yeah, because that's what, that's what God does, and here's a whole room full of God's people, and what we've been talking about, like, last week we got to talk about the Holy Spirit, and this week, uh, this is my last sermon. I know, right? I see a whoop, and I see her all. Yeah, I know. It's like a mix. I feel it. So, you're like, what? Uh, I just feel that the Lord's calling me and Anna into a, a period of really... Um, I'm going to call it intimacy and just being with God. And, and I know it doesn't make a lot of practical sense because you're like, hey, you're, you're, you're good at this or we like you doing this, but we've never been that church. We've been, what's God want? What's God like? And, and I kind of asked the elders just to fill you in. I said, hey, can I just preach whatever I want from my last two sermons? And they were like, yes, but we do have a time that we have to keep. So right up front, I just want to be clear, this is supposed to end at 11.30. There's probably no way that is happening. So at 11.30, I'm not going to make a big fuss, but I am going to say, hey, parents, now's that time. And when I say that, that just means, hey, go get the kids, and if you want to leave, that's your escape clause, and if you want to come back with the kids, do that, okay? I just know I'm going to get going, and I'm not going to care. But if you care, you can leave at 11.30, okay. Lots of freedom. And so last week I said, hey, you know, well, the two things I love to talk about most number one, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think I did okay. I know I didn't do it perfectly. And I know I didn't do it perfectly because I got a random text this week that said, hey, I heard a rumor uh, from somebody that they were worried we were becoming a Pentecostal church. Let me just clear that up. We are not. Which, number one, does it makes very aware that you don't understand Pentecostal theology, uh, and two, that the Holy Spirit makes you feel things. Uh, we are becoming a biblical church because Jesus says it was better that he goes away, the Holy Spirit would come. Now, the Holy Spirit used to really freak me out. You should go listen to the whole sermon. But no, we are not Pentecostals. We don't think everyone needs to speak in tongues. Uh, we do, however, think everybody needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's the Bible. Cool. My second favorite thing to talk about is intimacy with God, knowing God, friendship with God, closeness with God. And so I know it's going to feel like a weird question. Who here feels really close to God right now? And so you feel almost awkward answering. You're like, am I allowed to say I feel close to God? Is that pride? Well, the reality is I've talked to a lot of Christians and I go, do you feel close to God? And their honest answer, not the church answer, their honest answer is no. I don't feel close to God. I don't know what God thinks. You keep telling me he speaks to you. He's never spoken to me. And so my whole goal today is a, a gentle coaxing of the hearts of the people of cobblestone to draw near and not so much, hey, I'm gonna tell you some of the things that have happened to me, but they're in no way prescriptive, meaning they don't have to happen to you. Does that make sense? So so often when I share encounters with God, people get really offended because it didn't happen to them. It doesn't have to happen to you. God can do infinitely different things with every person in this room. He can get your attention with a water slide in your kids. He can get my attention by taking me out in the wilderness. God can do a lot of different things, yeah? so I'll just start with, with a really simple question. Do you want to be close to God? You should answer that honestly. Do you want to be close to God? And if you answer yes and you're like, yes, That is going to require some things because just like, and we'll just put everything we do today in in normal terms, if you all, young men, want a girlfriend, some things will have to change. You're going to stop spraying Axe all over your body, (laughs) number one, all right? It's not attractive. It just masks BO, okay? Okay. You're going to shower, you're going to clean shave, you're probably going to dress nice, you're going to get a card, and you're going to be able to pay for her. You're going to get a job. Things will change. I'm joking now. But when we say, yes, I want to be close to God, you have to understand underneath that, it will cost you some things. It will actually not even cost, cost is a good word, but it will alter your life. To say that I want to be close to my wife, Anna, means I have to set aside time during the week to date her. When I get home and I'm tired and she wants to talk, if I want to be a good husband, what must I do, husbands? Oh, wow, that was better than what I was going to say. I was going to say talk. She doesn't want to talk. She wants me to talk. And I'm not a talker. I, just like, I was like, can I just sit and not talk? But for me to love Anna, sometimes it's me to talk. It changes my life because I want to be close to Anna. I want to be close to God. Therefore, it's going to change some habits. It's going to change where I go and don't go. It's going to change how I spend my time. It's going to change when I get up and when I go to sleep. It's going to change all sorts of things. And so do you want to know God? Then you got to kind of dig through. Okay, then what am I willing to lose so that I might gain that? And there's a whole slew of people in the Bible. If you were to go read Hebrews 11, which is the first verse we're gonna go to, go grab a Bible, go to Hebrews 11. We're gonna start in verse about two, one or two. But that's called the hall of faith. And it's just a whole bunch of people that if we could see them and talk to them right now, you know what they would tell us? It's worth it. It's worth giving God everything. It's worth pursuing him. It's worth living by faith. He's no, I mean, it would be, that would be the message. And so when we talk about knowing God or intimacy with God, I hope that we are a room full of people that know a lot of things about God. Do you know some stuff about God? Tell me some things you know about God. Go ahead. What's God like? He's good, holy, kind. You can just start listing off things you know. Where did you learn those things? Thank you, Randall. He held up a Bible. So when we talk about knowing about God, the real cool thing is he ain't hiding. He left us a whole book that tells us what he's like. This whole thing is not about you, it's about him. It's about how he's a creative God full of joy and creativity and he speaks out and all things are made. The primary thing, the the pinnacle of that creation is humankind that are made in his image. And he goes, this is good. Now, it's not good that man's alone. Let's get a woman and put them together. And they're naked and they love it. And there's this this walking with God and knowing God and tending things. And work isn't dull and stupid. It's good. But then what happens? Somebody just laughed with the dull and stupid work. Yeah, that's the fall. That's what you feel on Wednesday. The fall. But in the beginning, Adam was naked with his woman, tending the forest. And talking to animals or something. I don't know what Adam was doing. Just like, and they all came. Like, I love it though, because it talks about him walking with God in the cool of the day. He was friends with God. He knew who his maker was. He knew that he was created. And he knew his role. And he did it well. And there was peace. But then obviously they disobeyed God. And then everything's broken from here on out. And so when you look at things we know about God, I just want to hold tangent about creation and make it Adam, I'm sorry. But, God's not hiding and that's what I love about him. But when you talk about knowing things about God, like how how can a man or woman be saved? How would you know how to do that? Please hold up a Bible. (laughs) How, How can you have your eternal soul be transformed, redeemed, and saved in Jesus Christ? How would you know, I'm gonna call it the recipe, how would you know what to do to do that? Well, the Bible tells us, repent of your sin, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, And you confess, you will be saved. That's Romans 10. It's really simple. So there's things we can know. And and I'm going to talk a little bit about knowing and then knowing. And what I mean is, any of y'all know how old I am? How old am I? 59? 59? Golly, (laughs) man. (laughs) That's hurtful. It's because I call you old, isn't it? That was just, uh, I am 40 years old. What color are my eyes? Blue. Colors my hair. What's my favorite food? (laughs) That was, okay, sure. Yes, yes. Good, good, good. What do I love most in, in life? What, where do I go when I'm stressed? What makes me sad? What can you, what, when's the last time I was angry? You, you see, so you could know some things about me. And over the years of being here, you probably do know quite a few. You know my kids' names, you know my wife's name, you know my height, you know, you know a lot of things about me. But when it comes to, hey, do you really know me? Any of you all want to be like, yeah, I really know him. You're like, can you ever really know a man? (laughs) We're not talking about human relationships anymore. We're talking about the God that made you on purpose and knit you together and then said his intention was that he would save you to himself. So there's this big, weighty knowing that I want to talk about, but I didn't want to make it like esoteric or like kind of like the Gnostics used to talk about special knowledge. There's all the knowledge you need to be saved is right here. All the knowledge you need to know what God is like is right here. All the things that God likes and doesn't like is right here. So there's no like big like, do you know him or not know him? This is just like, get in this and you'll, you'll end up some good places. But when I think about knowing God, I, I think it's a lot like, do you have people you're close to? Who's the person that you're closest to on the earth? And why are you close to them? And intimacy is not even about uh, physical space. So have you ever been in a room with somebody that you feel distanced from, but they're sitting right next to you, like, I'm not close to them, but they're close to you? You ever have somebody that's 4,000 miles away, but your heart is attached to them, and you love them, and you feel close to them? What do we call that? We call that intimacy. And I'm after, for this church, for every single person in this room, not to know about a lot of things about God, but to know God intimately, to be in relationship, in communion, to be, like, when I ask the question, do you feel close to God? I want everybody in here with no pride attached to it to go, yes, I'm close with him. I love him. He's my everything. A.W. Tozer, which, you know, my last sermon, I might as well quote Tozer, but he said, it's not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself And unless until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence. They may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and the center of their hearts. I agree with Tozer. I agree that the Bible is not just so you can memorize facts about God, but that it might lead you to him. And he's very real. And everybody in here, you have an invitation from the God of heaven and earth, the one that made you to know him intimately, to walk with him, to be friends with him, to enter into a better covenant than the old one, which is sacrifices and law, but now grace and spirit and truth. There's beautiful things available to you. Just as surely as the promises of God are yes and amen, intimacy with God is a possibility. And so often we settle way less than than we should. And I believe in, in a word, if I was to sum up what I think the heart of intimacy is, if you were to like, what's the difference between a good deep relationship and a kind of surface level relationship? It's the difference between probably a one year marriage and a 17, 18-year marriage, trust. Intimacy is built on trust. Now, at one year married, I trusted Anna. Sure, I married her for Pete's sake. But at 17 years, I trust her with everything. Literally, the dark stuff, the sad stuff, the stuff I don't tell anybody, I trust her. And I think she trusts me, not think, she trusts me. There's a depth of trust that has grown over the years where, like, I'm gonna say ride or die because she has found, she's proven herself trustworthy. And that's the heart of love and intimacy with God. And I think if I could call out the plague on Christian faith in America, it's that we don't trust God. We don't have faith. We have knowledge, but we don't trust because we trust in 401Ks. And we trust in the government, or we trust in whatever we've been told to, and it's a big mix-mash right now in our culture, but the people of God trust really only in one thing, and that's God. So I want to pray, and then we're going to talk about this trusting God and intimacy with God, uh, and we're going to do it through Hebrews 11 and then James. We'll see what time we get out of here. God, you are good. And I thank you for the honor it's been to be able to open up your word and talk about it. But I don't really just want to talk. I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and speak, that the very words of God would be spoken, that you would prick hearts today and draw them into a knowledge of you. And so, Lord, we submit to you. We want to be close to you. We want to know you. And I thank you for every man and woman and child in this room, that you made them and that you knew they'd be here. Would you show up and show off in Jesus' name, amen. So just like with my sermon last week, I want to start with some baseline stuff. Let me ask you a question. What's better than God? What's better than God? Now, if I followed you around, would that declaration that your mouth just said match your life? What's better than God? Now the Christian knows the answer because we learned it in Sunday school. Nothing is better than God. Are you turning the heat down? Praise God. (laughs) Is it feel warm in here? I'm sweating like down my back, like just, it's really gross up here, guys. So what's better than God? And I know the answer, I know I'm supposed to say nothing's better than God, but what God, what I really want, what I really want is I wanna be married. Nothing's better than God, but what I really need, God, I need a house. Well, nothing's better than God. What I really need is to be safe and comfortable and fed. No, 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 I thought you just said the statement, what's better than God? Is food better than God? Is sex better than God? Some of the men in the room are like, we could try to find out. Uh, What's better than God? Are we not talking real? Sorry, this is my last sermon. I have no filter today. You don't have to be sneaky, John. You turn that heat down. Turn the AC on for all that, yeah. And so I, for years, I could have told you what's well, better than God, and I felt ashamed because my life, I, I, I wanted to be good at sports, or I wanted to be the best CrossFitter, or I wanted to be you know, this, 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 or this, and so my mouth knew the answer, but my heart was very far from it. And if you want to be close to God, you're gonna have to let him do heart surgery on you. And this is the motives of your heart, this is the places where you say things, I wanna know God more than anything, but you don't. What you really want is just the the accolades that go with being a man that's close to God or a woman that's close to God, but you really don't wanna pay the cost and you really don't want it to change your life, you really just want your life with some God on it. So deep down in American Christianity, our answer to that question actually has to match our hearts. What's better than God? Nothing. And I mean it. Some of you have been flabbergasted that I would step away from a role in a church where on every, cor- every metric of a church, this, we're, we're doing it. You know why? Because nothing's better than God. Nothing's better. Like, you can't give me a position. You can't take anything from me or give anything to me that's better than him. So if we don't get God in this equation, in this Christian equation, but you get moral kids, you actually didn't get good things. And so often when we come to church, we come for a lot of reasons, and half of them aren't God. We come because our marriage is on fire, and we need that fixed. We come because we really want to know the key to financial success. We come because figure out a moral possibility, like some moral problem. We come to church, fix it so I can appease guilt. But the Bible is not talking about Jesus coming and being like, hey, don't say cuss words. He's saying, do you want to come to God? Well, your heart's broken. Your spiritual life is dead. Do you want it to be a life? And so I know I'm I'm preaching very forcefully, but for years I feel like I walk like a hypocrite. I went to seminary. I got a master's in church leadership. I know a little bit of Greek still because I forgot most of it. Uh, But really, the reality is I would have told you for all those church kid years and the rebellion years and the seminary years, I want to know God. And on the outside, probably true. But on the inside, I was like, "Uh, I really like a good nap or I'd really like, you know? And I think you got to ask. When I said, "Do you want to know him?", I think your first step in intimacy with God is you got to do some heart surgery. And more than that, you got to ask God. God, purify my motives, because we come to God for all sorts of reasons. And really, there is nothing better than God. And I've had people say things to me like, "Oh, you just want to be close to God so you can, you know, walk in healing," or. You're going to be close to God, so you have power. Um, I like those things because I think Jesus wants those things to be on display in his church. But I'll, I'll tell you my secret. The presence of God, when I'm in his presence, um, it's going to sound really simple, but everything makes sense. I am not worried about the future or the past. Everything is just like what it should be because I'm with him. Everything is where it should be and makes sense when I'm with the Lord. And so I watch Christians a lot and I talk to a lot of Christians and their heart's full of anxiety and they're worried about the future and they're regretful about the past and I'm going, where's the Lord in all of that? Because he does this big shh to my heart. So yes, I want healing and yes, I want all that. But C.S. Lewis, uh, everybody know who C.S. Lewis is? Lion, watch the war He wrote The Way to Glory. It's a really good book. You should read it. It's not just lying in the wardrobe. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I want to know God. Ooh, shiny thing. I want to know God, ooh, I really, I really want to have sex. Ooh, I want to know God, oh, I think I'm going to get a promotion at work. Do you see how it happens so quickly? And I don't think God's mad about it, but I think you've got to acknowledge it. So C.S. Lewis goes, we're way too easily like satisfied. Way too easily do we give ourselves to lesser things when we've been offered the king of heaven and earth in friendship with him. The things of God are on the table. Come to me, Jesus says. And so as we talk about intimacy, I ask the first question, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Some of you are like, I really don't want to say yes anymore. I'm just really nervous. Yes, you you do, right? I want to know God. I'm just much more aware of what that will cost me when I do say yes now. Let me ask you the exact opposite of that question. Does God want to be close to you? Does God want to be close to you? Please say yes. And that actually is what I wanna deal with most today. The reason some of you do not come to God or want to be close to him is because you don't think he wants to be close to you. But the revelation that's changed my life is God actually died to bring you to himself. Not kinda close, not just close enough that he he can put up with you but intimately known that's the gospel you get god so it's not about hey did you come to church no it's not about hey did you stop cussing no it's about did you get god and the church needs to get reunited with you've been called into knowing called into knowing walking seeing being with god so hebrews 11 Hebrews 11, like I said, is this hall of faith, but it actually has some baseline things. When I I was just like reading my journal and I felt like, okay, I'm going to tell you everything I've ever learned about intimacy with God and how to get close to him. So this is like the crash course with Andrew about intimacy with God. Welcome to my TED Talk. Hebrews 11 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So all the people in the Bible that we've ever read about and studied about, what were they commended for? Just told us. Faith. And what is faith? Well, he tells us that too. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So he's telling us, God really liked this about Moses. God really liked this about Jacob. God really liked this about Samson and all the great saints that are in that hall of faith. This is what God acknowledged. This is what he commended. He went, hey, I like your faith. I like the fact that you are confident in the hope in me, and I like it. I like it that you have this assurance. Even though you can't see it, you trust. That sums up Christianity, does it not? Anybody ever seen Jesus face to face? For a charismatic say, yes, you have not. Okay? And he continues. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought of God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. And then verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Did you know there's a guy that didn't die? His name's Enoch. And I would like a lot more Enochs on the earth. I would like a lot more of you to be like Enoch. And you're like, how will I be like Enoch? Well, he tells us about him. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So here's this guy named Enoch. We don't know really anything about him other than what? He pleased God. And at the end of your life, on your tombstone, you know the greatest, highest accolade we could write there? This one pleased God. This man pleased God. This woman pleased God. And he goes on and he says, and he's trying to to explain the writer of Hebrews, and we could fight about who that is, but, He's trying to explain what it was about Enoch that pleased God. So it's not a a hidden mystery for us. And he goes, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That verse was, I repeated that verse about 4,000 times in a two-year period starting in 2017. I was fascinated by this idea that God, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then I was like, well, if anybody's good at going full send on stuff, I sure am, I'm gonna seek God, right? And I kind of forgot the whole first part, but he says, if anyone wants to please God, he must believe that he exists. Doesn't that seem like common sense? So some of us, We've kind of bought into the mindset of the age that we say our prayers, but we say them to the ceiling because we don't expect any answer. Because our faith doesn't even really exist. We were, we, taught, we were taught the system of faith. We were taught the doctrines. We were taught the right language. We were taught, hey, I need to come to church, which is why some of you are here. But we were never taught, I want you to expect, I want you to have high faith that God is reachable, that you can know him, that you can be with him, that when you pray, he hears. This is Psalm 34, I cried out to the Lord and he heard and he answered me. And so if you have a group of people that were taught, hey, it's not even about God answering or it's not about knowing God, it's just about knowing right things, their faith starts to get really small. But the God of the Bible actually commends people that walked by faith. That, that they, God liked it. He liked it enough that Enoch, he was like, you're just not gonna die no fiery chariot, no flashbangs, just you're coming with me because I like you. And he says, the thing I liked about him was that he came to me with full faith because you can't please God without faith. And this is hard to put into language, but I came to God a lot of times in my early Christianity not with faith, but with like, A weird sense of, I know it's the right thing, but I don't know if you're there. I was told to do this, so I am. And the God of the Bible is asking us to come to him and earnestly seek him. Did you hear that? And I thought the reward would be the ability to heal or prophesy or cast out demons. That's not the reward. I'll tell you what I think the reward is of those who earnestly seek God. Are you ready? You find him. Because he's the reward. Once again, what's better than God? So is the ability to lay hands on somebody and them get well, is that better than God? No. To be able to know all revelation and all wisdom and all heavenly language, is that better than God? No. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 as well. Nothing's better than knowing him. God's, there's nothing better than God. And the Hebrews is trying to put this thing into us that, hey, go seek God. Let's just say we were the planning type of people. And I said, tomorrow, you're gonna give everything you got to seeking God. You're gonna earnestly seek him. You're going to go after him with every dime, every energy, every waking moment. You're going to go after God. What changes? If somebody just said everything back there, then let it change. Burn it all down. Burn the ships. Go with God. And see, this is like, I said, do you want to know God? And you're all like, yeah, it'll cost something. It'll make you weird to the earth because it'll be like, why aren't you coming to the party? I'm going to go be with God. God. Why are you tired? Because I was up at 3 a.m. talking to my best friend. Who, Anna? No, God. And so, do you want to know God? I love the, yes, I want to know God, but will you earnestly seek him? I think that's part one. And so often, we'll seek God till we're satisfied or we'll seek God till we get the outcome we want. We'll seek God until the right scenario has happened that we like. But I want you, I just want to, this is what changed my life. I, I can't even claim that it was me. I, I already explained that for seven years, I did what I was taught, and I got tired. This was the Holy Spirit sermon last week. And out of nowhere, God started to provoke me. He'd be like, are you really satisfied with this? Do you really feel close to me? And I was like, no. And out of nowhere, it was like, I just, this was the verse I ran into. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I spent three months on my living room floor banging on the floor going, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want you to touch me. I want to burn. I want to see you. Didn't see anything. Was not some great, like, you're gonna, you're gonna do this because I'm doing something. No, there was no, like, it was just a pure, I don't know where it came from. I don't call it Holy Spirit birth. It was just hunger. It was, and then it was just the, I see that your word says you reward those who earnestly seek you, so I'm gonna seek you. And some days I was like, I'm, I'm getting tired, the Lord, of seeking. I don't think you're gonna show up the way that I want. And the reality is he didn't show up the way that I wanted. Because if he did it my way, It'd be really stupid. He did it his way. But I will ask you, are you seeking after God? Because what I've noticed about the God that we serve, and this is the whole point of this first, this is my first point, is that God is the prize. When we talk about God is is anything better than God, he's the treasure the Bible talks about. So a man goes out in the field and he finds a great treasure, so he goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy the field and have the treasure. Likewise, there's a second verse, and then I think it should be a slide somewhere up there, somebody, but he talks about a a pearl of great price and selling everything so you can buy that. Jesus, God is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the treasure. So if I lose all earthly wealth and I lose all people's view of me, but I get God, I actually didn't lose anything in that, in that transaction. Um, I think what I think, when I think about pursuing God, what God did by his spirit, because I was like, God, I want to know you more than anything. Uh, I picture it like he had to dislodge a lot of treasures. He had to dislodge a lot of other pearls, lesser things, And so as I first began to pursue the Lord, um, I really was just so convicted that I was spending time doing so many other things. And as I lay there praying one day, I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to cut out social media. And I was like, yes, amen, because it's a waste of time anyway. I want you to stop working out. And I was like, what? And I want you to stop drinking alcohol. Now, to be clear, I wasn't drinking a lot of alcohol, but do you see what he was doing? He's like, I want you to separate yourself from me. I want you to stop wasting time scrolling and come find me. I want you to stop going to the gym and being worried about your body and start being worried about your heart and your soul and your spirit. And I want you to stop filling yourself with the drink, and I want you to fill yourself with the spirit. And in the moment, I actually wasn't a hard ask because I had had an invitation from God right in front of me. So if we walked through your life this week and I said, hey, you got to give that up, but you get God, what would be the one that would be really hard? If I said, hey, you can't watch TV the rest of this month. Anybody feeling anything? You're like, but that's my, that's my downtime. Hey, you can't read your graphic novels anymore. Hey, you got to get rid of all social media, but you get friendship with God. And the thing is, I know how the human heart works because mine works the same. Some of you are like, oh, really, do I have to? You don't have to do any of this. And that's the thing with intimacy. I don't have to talk to Anna. I don't have to set aside date time. I don't have to talk to her. We can live as roommates and we'll still be married. You can live with God and be saved and have all the promises and never get close to him but there's an invitation. And as I learned about Jesus, I was just, it was more when I talked about, hey, I want to pursue you. It was more that he just began to show me how valuable he is. He began to do, by his word, I started reading the verses about, he is the treasure and I will sell everything. God, what do I need to sell so I can find? I'm not talking about physically selling things. I'm talking, if I got to cut out social media, if I got to get up at four, if I got to go to the weird room with the charismatic, wherever I got to whatever I got to do. But if I get you, that's what I want. That is the cry of a person that will find the Lord. If you have that Bible still, go over to James 4, 4 through 8. We're going to go really quick. But the reality is when we talk about this <laughs> this idea of pursuing the Lord and him being the price, you all know, like I said, we know a lot of things. In the American church, right now in America, you can go online and get a free master's degree in pretty much any of the biblical degrees that I got. You're like, really? Yeah. There's so many books, so many podcasts, so many good, like you can get knowledge point after knowledge point and sermon after sermon after sermon. Knowledge is not lacking in the American church. So where are the Enochs? Where are the friends of God? So it makes my point because knowledge is not synonymous with trust. And intimacy is built on trust. But in James 4, you have a very equal call from God. So Hebrews says, if you seek me, I'm going to reward you. And he's the great reward. James is going to say some very similar things. James 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? So let's just stop right there. You can't hold God's hand and hold the earth's. You'll love one and hate the other. And there's an invitation. If you want to be friends with God, this doesn't mean you have to like hate everybody else and just be like, screw you. But I think there's going to be a choosing. But did you notice what he just said? That if you are friends with the earth, you are what? What's the Bible say? I, this isn't Andrew being mean. This was I was taught a Christianity that said, hey, you can walk this tightrope where you can be really close to God and the earth will love you. That's actually not biblical because the Bible says if you are friends with the earth, you are enemies with God. And so some of you have to come to grips with this idea that you said, I want to be close to God. Well, then you got to get more comfortable with the earth hating you, not liking you, not being invited to parties, being lonely, maybe being alone, wilderness periods, and being awed to the earth. The aroma of Christ smells like death to those that are perishing, the Bible says. But we were taught, they'll all like me. That's not the Bible. Do you want to be friends with God? Then, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He's caused to dwell in us, but He gives us more grace? This is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this is the verse, mix that with Hebrews that we just read. God rewards those who seek him. And then verse eight, come near to God and what? Is there any um, condition on that? Is there any like, yeah, but you got to face west at 7 p.m. on a full moon? Someone's got to blow a shofar right when that full moon hits. And then they got to pour oil on you. And then God will come close. Does it say any of that? Just says what? Draw near to God. So if I draw near to God, by by reality, I'm going to have to go away from the earth. If I draw near to God, I'm going to go in distance from other things. Correct? Draw near to God and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded why is he yelling at them to be that they're double minded because they're trying to play both the earth and God and he's calling them out and I think this is me calling you out with my last sermon I could ever give you that friendship with God was always that unattainable thing until the moment that God was like do you want to be close to me give me everything Sure, God, you can have CrossFit. Sure, you can have my working out. You can have my alcohol. You can have my social media. You can have my money. You can have my job. You can have what people think about me. But my cry for the last two years has been Moses. But if you don't go with me, don't send us out. Moses, which is an interesting character study, he he got to meet with God in a tent. Did you know that? Wouldn't it be really cool if we just had a tent and you knew God was in it? God's in there, and we just knew when the cloud came down, we're just going to go, who's going in the tent? would make it easier, right? But now we're in this new and better covenant that anyone that comes to Christ gets to go into the tent, gets to go past the veil through a new and living way, which is the flesh and body of Jesus, into the throne room of grace and be with God. So it's not just for special Moseses anymore. There's an invitation to every person in this room to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Because not only is he the prize, I realize very quickly that God is the lover, the lover of your soul. Who loves you more than any person on this planet? You might answer with a human name. The Bible would actually say Jesus. John three sixteen. do you know it? For God so, what was that word there? Loved? So, Jesus came to seek and save the who? The lost. And the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. More, like, just love. I mean, there's like a party in heaven every time someone comes back to God. So, the heart of God is not one of like, you better get it together. He's like, I want you to come here. It's love. So right in the middle of me trying to pursue God in these heavy Holy Spirit years of my life, last three, four years, I realized one thing, that God was pursuing me because he's a lover, that God loves me. I mean, Revelation 2-4, he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he commends them, but what's the one thing he, he's like, hey, I don't like this. He says, you, you've forsaken your first love. Revelation 22 says, the spirit and the bride say come uh, bride language husband language husband and wife language that's love language that's lover language you know that right so the god of the bible talks about his people a lot of time as a husband and a wife and so when the wife cheats on the husband there's hurt and then the god of heaven and earth when his kids and his people cheat on him do you think there's hurt And so there's this God that's like, don't go with the earth, go with me. Draw near to me, be with me, come after me. I'm the reward, I'm the better thing. There's this come after me, and we need to be reminded that it's okay to go after God and be weird to the earth again. And then the last one. So not only is he the treasure, but he's this loving god that like pursues but that's the last one is that he's the pursuer. I believe god is pursuing every person in this room. It's why Jesus came to find you, to bring you back to god. It's like a rescue mission. It was like D-Day. Jesus storms the beach and then he actually ends up sacrificing himself and everyone's like what are you doing? Raising from the dead. That's Jesus. But Luke 19 says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So I want to talk about pursuing God um, from a different angle because, I don't know, for those seven years, I did not feel close to God. I felt like a servant. Um, I felt like a slave. I felt like I'm doing my right religious duty. And the Holy Spirit poured out, and I, I shared some of that last week, and I don't need to reiterate it. And power and visions and tongues and all the stuff that people are like "Eh," but it's not out to me anymore when God shows up things happen but I spent that couple years just weeping over this place and asking God to move and then all of a sudden COVID hit you remember those years those were fun let's do that again and I, I, we had built, like, a little studio in my upstairs bedroom, and me and David Bear spent way too much time in there. There was enough, like, seltzer water cans to, like, fill it. It was just bad. It probably smelled a little beefy. It was gross, all right? But I'm, like, preaching to a camera, uh, and all the while it's like I, I kind of got a little lazy, got a little depressed, got a little suicidal, got a little – it just got dark. You ever, and some of you are there, and this is why I'm sharing this, because I'm not afraid of the dark. Because Jesus walks into the dark and brings people out of it. So I had all this fervor and I had all this closeness and all of a sudden it was like COVID hit and it was like darkness. And I had no feeling and I had no closeness and I couldn't find God. So the years leading up to that, every time I would pray, and this is where I'm saying I'm gonna share with you some experiences, they don't have to be yours. These are not prescriptive. Every time I would pray, I would find myself at a low table sitting with Jesus. Almost as if I was meeting with him. And it was like talking with him. And prayer became a very fun time. It wasn't a checklist. It was a relationship. COVID hit and that dark hit. And it was like somebody had shut the door to that place. And I could not get to God. And I was like convinced. I was like, I let him down. He's disappointed in me. I, I probably, you know, I probably said something wrong and this is God's wrath on my life. And it was just that. And so you take depression and suicide and all those horrible thoughts and well, I want to be close to God, but maybe I've, I've, I've run my race and I've served my purpose. I'll just go back to what I knew. And then I took a little sabbatical, 2020, was that what it was? And, and I, went to, I went to a retreat center and this old godly couple were like, hey, if any time in the next two, three days, you'd like us to pray for you, we would love to pray for you. Nothing weird, just, just want to pray and ask God what he wants to do in your life. And I spent the next like two days just begging, banging my head against the wall because I didn't feel anything. So I was like, maybe I'll just read books. Maybe that'll make me feel something. Nope. Maybe I'll fast. Maybe that'll make something happen. Nope. Maybe I'll just take a nap and feel sorry for myself. Yep. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh, God, I just want to be with you. I want to know what you think. And so finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to give these old people a chance. They're not actually that old. but." So they they were like, hey, well, I texted them. I was like, hey, I think I need some help to figure out what's going on here. And so they were like, all right, well, tomorrow at like 2 uh, come over to this, they had built a whole little like shed thing that was beautifully adorned, and they are like, we're just going to sit here, we're going to pray. We're not going to touch you, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to ask God what he thinks about you and what he wants to do in your life. I was like, that sounds safe. So I went in there very defeated, questioning if I should quit this place, if I had abandoned my faith, if I, I don't know, I was just, it was so confusing for me and i sat down and they began to pray and i just really like felt like i was banging on that door and out of nowhere the lady that was there praying for me she said i just have this picture that jesus is standing behind you holding your shoulders and he's just walked around and he's started to wash your feet and i literally gutterly went no he will not wash my feet cuz i've let him down and I'm not a good leader. And I don't deserve to be with him. It sounds a lot like Peter when that happened in the Bible. And very quickly, this spiritual moment happens where God kind of restored me. And he went, it wasn't about how much power you walked in, Andrew. Or if you changed the whole course of the church. Or if you, if I, it, it was, I like you and you're my son. And I want to wash that off of you. And it was in a moment where I said, no, Lord, I'm not, you don't, you don't know, I'm not worth you wasting your time on to wash my feet. And he whispered to me by the Spirit, yes, you are. And it took off all this weight that I don't have to be the most spiritual guy in the room. I don't have to know everything anymore. I just, one thing, I want to be with God. Because when I'm with him, everything makes sense. I'm not worried about the future. I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about anything. I'm lost. And I think some of the biggest problems in this room is you're like me in some way. You don't feel like you're worthy. That if you were with Jesus around that table and he was washing the disciples' feet, he'd get to you and go, "Eh, not you. And so... It was in that moment that Jesus washed my feet, that I saw that room again, and I saw Jesus behind the door, and he took the door and he crumbled it, this is in a vision, and he said, you'll never be distanced from me again. So now, every time I pray, I sit with Jesus, and I'm not worried about the door closing, and I'm not worried about me messing it up, and I'm not worried really about anything, which is why the next season of my life is so exciting because it's an invitation to go be with God. The cool thing is God's inviting every person in here to come be with him. So I want to read to you John 13. If you want to follow along, great. You don't have to. It's literally where Jesus washes some feet. We have three minutes till that moment where, if you're a parent, you're going to need to go get the kids. John thirteen verse one. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own and and were his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though no, not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So as I was preparing for my last sermon, I wasn't even like, I don't even think this is my best sermon, (laughs) y'all. I'm being honest. Um, The only thing that kept coming to my mind the last month is wash their feet. Now, I'm a youth camp kid. I've been a part of a lot of foot washings. Some of them I did not want to be a part of. As some of you are going to feel really weirded out. Uh, but that's how I want to end my time here. Ooh. Oh. I was not emotional. I don't feel, I don't know. I'd love being your pastor. Wow, where's this coming from? <laughs> Shove that back down. woo! Uh, Okay. But if Jesus was here, I think that's where the tears come from. Jesus has a mount of love for you that a lot of you don't know. Some of you have been convinced by religion and men that have held roles like me that you can't come to God. But Jesus would weep over you and say, come here. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak life over you. We're going to take that thing that's been harassing you, and we're going to send it away. This is the Jesus we serve. And so it was less about, hey, let's let the high and mighty Andrew wash feet. It was more like, what would it look like for Jesus to wash everybody's feet in this room? And so you don't have to. Some of you have really ugly feet and don't want to get them out. Jeremiah's probably got a yellow toenail somewhere in there. So like... You know what I mean? So some of you are like, I'm just not getting these dogs out, all right? I'll wash your hands. I don't care. It's not even about the physical water on the feet. It's that I believe that if Jesus was here, and I want to be like Jesus if I'm going to minister at all, he would bless you. He would speak life over you. Thank you, Noah. He's pointing at the clock. I need people like that in my life. And so what we're going to do, I've asked some friends, and most of them actually are elders, and if you want to know something cool, I think the thing the elders should do much, most is wash your feet, not even physically, but if Jesus did this as an example, we should do this. So I'm not even going to rush into it. I just want to enter into some prayer, and I, I'll say it like this. If you will stick around, we will wash your feet. We're just going to spend the rest of our time together. The worship team's going to worship. And there's five stations up here. Um, And I've asked some elders and their wives and some friends. And there's probably, I didn't do all the details perfectly. So who knows if they'll even show up. Um, But when you come, just slip your shoes off. You don't have to say anything. Because Jesus knows everything about you. And I trust that these friends have been with Jesus. And they're gonna speak words over you, probably, that I hope are from the heart of God. And maybe it'll be like me, where you're like, I don't deserve this. Well, I don't think I deserve Jesus to wash my feet, but he did. And if you remember anything from my time here at Cobblestone, it would be just what I've already been yelling about. There's nothing better than God. Nothing. Nothing. I have found what I love. It's not church. Church is great. God is way better. God is everything. Go find him. Go seek him. He's the reward. He's the treasure. And he's beautiful. So let's pray. And while I'm praying, the, the band's going to come up. And if you're part of those people I talk to, maybe we could try to figure out. More detail-minded people could help me figure out. Uh, yeah. So God, we We're not in a hurry, and I don't even think I did the greatest job, Father, but I thank you that you do wash people's feet, that you bless people. And so we don't want to rush away from you. We actually want to draw near to you because your word tells us to. We actually want to uh, earnestly seek you because you are the reward. And so I just want you to sit there and I want you to, for maybe the first time in your life, not hide from God. So if you have a porn problem, God knows about it. If you doubt that he cares about you, he he actually knows that. And I just want you to, if you could be just bare before God and bear everything to him, I want you to be there with God. And so, Father, we just put ourselves, our full self, our real self, before you. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit in this room. And, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come in power right now. That you would begin to break off shame and guilt. We want to know you I want to know you And if that's your heart Will you tell him It doesn't have to be a perfect thing It doesn't have to be like Yeah but it just has to be like, God I want to know you And then you'd begin to cry out for him And then you would ask him God is there anything in the way And he's good He loves you He'll tell you start to sing there's there's actually not a dismissal time in this church anymore um there is however a a need to get get the kids uh so as we start to lean into worship the uh the teams are up here and they're they're here to wash your feet uh i'll join i'll try to join them but i might need a couple more elders so that would be great to help And like I said, if you want to go, you can go. There's no pressure. But if we're here for the next four hours and I get to weep over you and pray the words of Jesus over you, it feels like a good day. Jesus would spend all that time and more on you. So respond in worship. Respond in prayer. Respond in going home and eating Taco Bell. I love you. Jesus loves you more. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonchurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.